Hey, everyone. So I've talked a lot about why cancel culture is a great reason to become a Patreon supporter, but there's actually another one. The more subscribers I have, the fewer commercials I need. You've probably noticed that thus far we're largely commercial free, and I would really like to keep it that way. In order to do that, I need listener support. So if you're an avid listener of the Suzanne Banker Show and you like that it's commercial free, please consider becoming a monthly subscriber. Just go to SuzanneBanker.com forward slash podcast, and you'll see the red button about a quarter of the way down the page. Again, that's SuzanneBanker.com forward slash podcast. Also, I just want to remind you that I now have a YouTube channel where we upload weekly short videos that are designed to motivate and support you in your journey to a happy marriage and a happy life. So just head on over to YouTube, type in my name, and when you see my channel, hit subscribe. That way you'll be notified the moment a new video has been uploaded. Finally, if you or if someone you know is single and wondering where all the good men have gone, you will be thrilled to know that my new book, How to Get Hitched and Stay Hitched, A 12-step program for marriage-minded women will hit the shelves August 31st, but it is available now for pre-order. This book is a game changer for any woman who's unhappily single or divorced. It is the detox women need to reject the lies they've been fed by our culture when it comes to men and marriage. It's about what you really want versus what you've been told you should want, and it's about what's true of men and marriage versus what you've been told is true. Just go to howtogethitched.net and you will find all the information you need there. Again, that's howtogethitched.net. And now on with the show. From the magnificent Midwest, it's the Suzanne Becker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives about men, women, sex, and love. From coast to coast and from around the world, thank you for joining us. Just a quick note, too, that I was having tech problems, unfortunately, with this episode and had to cut this conversation with Rabbi Friedman shorter than I wanted to. So you'll probably notice at the end that it seems rather abrupt, and that's the reason and I apologize that for that in advance. So this episode is about how thinking about and doing things differently from the norm when it comes to marriage and relationships is what ultimately allows you to succeed in love. I came across an article the other day that was entitled COVID Quarantine Confirmed That Sleeping in Separate Beds is the Best Thing for My Marriage by Judy Kettler. And upon reading this, in addition to thinking about my own marriage, I thought about my conversation in December of 2019 with Rabbi Manus Friedman, because in that episode, he said that it's actually insulting, his words, to sleep in the same bed with one's spouse. Kind of a radical comment and very interesting. So with that in mind, I invited Rabbi Friedman back on to talk about not just the surprising benefits of not sleeping with one's spouse, but the benefits of embracing a mindset about marriage that differs radically from the norm. Rabbi Friedman is an internationally sought after speaker, author, and expert on the topics of love, marriage, intimacy, and parenting. He has appeared on CNN, PBS, and BBC worldwide, and has been the subject of articles in the New York Times, Rolling Stone, 17, and others. He's the author of Doesn't Anyone Blush Anymore? and The Art of Intimacy, which we will talk with him about as well. Rabbi Friedman's website is it's good to know.org. Welcome back to the show, Rabbi Friedman. Thank you so much for having me. So it's glad to talk years. with you. I know. I just can't believe that much time has passed. I really can't. Um, but so let me just to recap, I, I said a little bit in the intro for people as to why I thought about asking you back on, but I'm going to 
um, get more specific about that. So I saw an article last week in, uh, it says NBC News, it's the think opinion section. And the title is COVID quarantine confirmed that sleeping in separate beds is the best thing for my marriage. And it's written by a woman named Judy Kettler. She's an author. And she essentially said that my husband and I sleep apart now for the same reasons we always have, because we have different bedtime habits and sleep quirks. I read every night before bed. He watches TV. He snores and has sneezing fits in the middle of the night. And I have a tendency to jump in my sleep. He likes a warmer room. I like a colder one, so on and so forth. But mostly we just like our space and the feeling of stretching out unencumbered for seven to eight hours. And then she later pointed out that, um, that the, the bottom line in her marital struggles was that they both had to grow up. And for her, growing up meant finally accepting that doing things in our marriage differently than the norm was what made us better, like sleeping in separate beds. And I thought of you immediately because I remember when we spoke in December of 2019 that you, um, you talked about, you had a very interesting take on that, which I appreciated. And so I thought of you and I thought, okay, I'm going to have him back on. We're going to cover this for sure, but I'm going to come back to it in a little bit. I want to start um, on a little broader scale with more about your work and who you are and, and your book, The Art of Intimacy. Okay, so in that book, you write the following, quote, the key to sustaining a great relationship is learning the art of intimacy. Intimacy is not something that just happens. It must be learned, cultivated, and practiced carefully if it is to flourish. So you essentially argue in that book, which I agree completely, that we have essentially an intimacy crisis in America, and that many people, even if they're married or in a committed relationship, still feel painfully alone. So I'd like you to start by telling everybody or answering the question, what is intimacy and how, and why is it different from sex? Because so many people conflate those words. Well, for a good reason. Sex used to be intimacy. Back in the olden days when sex was awesome. <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was awesome because it was so intimate. But then in the 60s, we all decided that we don't want that. We'd rather have recreational sex or free love. It was a terrible expression. Terrible, terrible. isn't it? Awful. Terrible. There's nothing free about it. <laughs> You're right. Somebody wrote, if it's you know, safe sex, yeah. If yeah. it's safe, it's not sex. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's a really good twist on the, the phrase yeah, safe true. sex. Yeah. It's true. If it if it's safe, it's soup. <laughs> you know, Jackie Mason has a routine. He no, I don't comes, know that. He comes to Hollywood and all these people sitting around in the cafes all day long look they they're not employed. So he asked them, Don't you have a job? And they said, yes, we are producers. We're producing our next movie. And we're trying to decide where to put the sex scene. And he asks them, why does every movie have to have a sex scene? And they say, because the movie um, is, uh, is based on reality. You know, we want to make it look real. And in real life, people have sex. And he says to them, yeah, but... People also have soup. I see. <laughs> no, I hadn't heard that. 
why why doesn't every movie have to have a soup scene tastefully done of course yeah not gratuitous <laughs> okay so so what is intimacy just kind of lay it out for people so they understand exactly what we're talking about so when we decided to have free love it became free of commitment free of attachment free of intimacy just casual and what that actually resulted in is impersonal sex it became impersonal it's not really about me and it's not really about you it's just it we're doing it and it is very good but that leaves us completely alone because it doesn't bond us on the contrary it kind of separates us two people engaging in sex are further apart from each other than ever because they're each so intensely caught up in their own experience and that's why after having had sex it's very common for one to ask the other how was it how was it weren't you there <laughs> why do you have to ask how it was and also what is it it was just us it was me and you who's the it what's the it who brought an it into the bedroom there should be no it in a bedroom intimacy means me and you with no thing between us then we bond but sex is a thing it comes between us okay so more specifically then because i don't i feel like you can't have this conversation without talking about um casual sex versus sex in the context of of a committed relationship or, or marriage rather so you you're more specific i think in your book in describing intimacy as the desire to know somebody deeply and to be deeply known so that if you do have that piece that intimacy then where does the sex fall in because you're it's you're talking about sex without that other piece correct right so it's the same act but a completely different experience mm -hmm. it's like the difference between pornographic sex and intimate sex intimate means i'm i'm fully conscious of you and i want to be with you not i want to do something fun yeah so it's not a performance and it's not pornography and it's not olympics it's it's us and the huge difference is if it is sex and it is a performance very often it'll fall short of expectation it's not as good as i thought it should be as i read as i saw in the movies but if it's just about us it's always good it's always good so when it comes to explain to people how um sex in a marriage isn't always intimate in other words it's not because you're married per se it's how what people can be married their whole lives and have lots of sex and never have intimacy 
Right. And I think that's actually, I hate to say this, I feel like that's more common than not today. That's been my experience of what I'm running up against. And I think it's the same with you. Um, And I think the piece that's missing there that I've surmised is that this whole concept of vulnerability is just verboten. People have no idea how to be vulnerable and you just, you just simply can't have intimacy without being vulnerable. True. Very true. Today, I think in the average home in America, it's pornography that's happening. In the average home, you think? Yes. We've introduced pornography into our daily lives. That's why the pornography industry is suffering. (laughs) Nobody needs to pay to see it. They're doing it themselves. So I have a simple suggestion that people just, it blows people's minds. If you want to have an intimate relationship, make sure the lights are off. Yeah, you mentioned that last time. I was going to ask you about that when we talked about um, sleeping in separate beds. But let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second, what you mean by why that's so crucial. Well, first of all, um, this was the way it was done forever. <laughs> I, you know, you, you, you watch the old reruns of uh, I Love Lucy, uh, All in a Family, um, Jackie Gleason, the Honeymooners, when they showed them in bed and they were about to be intimate, what was the last thing they did? Turned off the lamp, fade to black. Now you know they're being intimate. That's the way it was, not just by because of television censors, that's, that's life. That was real life. Intimacy was when you turned off the lights. And the idea of that, of course, today is so considered so boring, right? So passe, so, so not enlightened, right? So because when you go back to the 60s, what you were saying is everything that's happened in the last half century has been about sexualizing everything in this new and different way so that what you just described seems that's just so yesterday. Yes. But who introduced lights into the bedroom? Pornography. It's hard to take pictures in the dark. So now that people have lights on, it's pornography that they're practicing. And then there's music, and then there's talking, and then there's anything but intimacy. In fact, you know the statistics are that the average couple have sex about once a month once a month they're really not interested mm-hmm. yeah i have i have read that that sex there's just no question that it is it is waning big time and i do find it funny that uh we, we consider ourselves so enlightened in the sex department compared to our parents and grandparents but they were having a hell of a lot more sex yes and it was always good it was never a performance nobody was being judged It was much, much more satisfying. In fact, according to that study, the Pew study, the traditional couple or the religious couple reported infinitely more more satisfaction, satisfaction, which is like amazing. (laughs) It's so counterintuitive to what we're told, right? So here's what we discovered. You can go your whole life without sex and you're missing nothing. But if you go without intimacy, you have no life. You're alone in the world. 
And the only way to not be alone in the world is through marriage. Like if you have a very good relationship with your parents, that's good, that's healthy, but you're alone in the world. Because with your parents, you are not one. You are not one with your mother or with your father because they have each other. And they came first before you got there. So we have a couple of things that, of course, are really up against against that whole, well, first of all, we live in a very anti-marriage culture today and marriage is on the decline. Um, but worse than, well, I shouldn't say worse than that, equally worse, equally bad, I guess, um, is that I, at least I find with my coaching that couples are living essentially like roommates. Mm-hmm. Um, they're married on paper, right? Their monies aren't combined. They're not having sex. They're just married on paper, but there's nothing about their, they, you, I like the fact that you use the word merge, that they've essentially failed. If you don't have intimacy, you've failed to merge. And I think the, the money, and we're not going to talk about the money piece of that, because, but it is a big part of it, that they're not bringing together and actually becoming married in the true sense of the word, the way people right. used to. Right. And the tragedy is the man does not feel like he is a provider. Mm-hmm. And the woman does not feel like she is receptive. Right. And if a woman doesn't feel receptive, she doesn't feel like a woman. Mm-mm. And that's, Amen. that's bad news. A man doesn't feel like he's a provider. He's not a man. It, go, it cuts to the quick. It, it goes to the very essence of our gender identity, mm-hmm. which is, of course, very confused today. Extremely. So here are the two things that are ruining marriage. Sex and love are destroying marriage because basically people marry for sex and love, which means I want your sex and I want your love. The rest of you, I can do without. So don't give me your opinion. Don't tell me your needs or your moods. I married you for the love and that's all I want to hear. Like like Dragnet, remember? Just the facts, man. (laughs) Just let's stick to what we agreed to. We're going to have sex and love. And all that other stuff. All that other stuff that's technically ruining marriages today um, is not to be dealt with. The rest of you, I don't need. So contrast, juxtapose that with the way it used to be. So people understand what people married for. Because I do think that understanding what marriage is and what it is not even is so lost on young people today. So why did people, why did it work in the past? Why do people stay married longer? Two reasons. Number one, they, they recognized the need for each other and admitted it. Like you say, yeah. a vulnerability. They needed each other for very healthy reasons. Which is taboo for women, especially today. You know, you're not supposed to say you need a man. So they're up against that. And a man will certainly not say he needs a woman. Mm-mm. So they are our grandparents or great-grandparents. They married each other. They didn't necessarily like everything about each other. So I don't like your family. I don't like your sense of humor. I don't like how you cook but I need you in my life. You, I need. 
like the difference between saying, I love you, which is all about me, versus you I love, which is all about you. So our grandparents married each other and spent 80 years bickering about everything else. Without, now, without asking themselves, what does this mean? And do we need to get divorced because of the bickering? <laughs> right. But they were bickering about things, not about each other. So if you said, you know, you never get along, you don't enjoy the same things, you're constantly bickering, why don't you get divorced? They look at you like you're crazy. It's true. It's true. So today we have it the opposite. We get married because I love everything about her. About her. I just don't need her. I want all the goodies. I don't know why I need her. So it's like, I'll marry you for the money. I want to marry you for your money. Which is really saying, can you just give me the money? Why does everything have to be so complicated? <laughs> just give me the money. Oh, I can't get the money unless I marry you. Okay, I'll marry you. But I just want the money. The same is true with love. I'm marrying you for love. Can I have the love without the marriage? Which means, can't I have your love without the rest of you? So I just want a little something about you or from you. I don't want the whole package. I don't need your opinion. So much of this, I think, is about a mindset and an attitude about, about marriage, for sure, but about love and relationships and, and how they work. And if you're going into it with a what am I going to get out of it and what my exactly. expect, you know, your expectations are way off the charts um, exactly. relative to what it really is, what it can provide and what you're supposed to do, meaning to love someone rather than to be loved, which will be the byproduct of loving, but you're too focused on what you're getting. It's, this is all so much about mindset, isn't it? Yes. Attitude. Don't get married as long as you are needy. If you need something, don't get married. If you're looking for love, go home to your mother. <laughs> and if your mother doesn't love you, that's a whole different That's a whole other conversation. That's a podcast of its own. Um, why do you think in the Orthodox Jewish community, divorce rates are so much lower? For this very reason. First of all, the intimacy is real. And when you have real intimacy in the bedroom, it can make up for a lot of bickering in the, in the living room. <laughs> stop that. That's really good. Wait, stop that for a moment. I want to pause there. Um, that's really good. Um, so let, let's talk about that because I, let's get to what I really wanted to focus on too was this article I read about sleeping apart. I want you to explain to people why that works why that's good and how that would actually foster more intimacy in the bedroom that would then offset that bickering in the living room that you just explained. Well, first of all, uh, you get a good night's sleep, you're in a better mood. <laughs> um, I mean, let's be practical. It, it's so 
unbelievably true. Before you explain this, let me just, I have a little bit of a personal investment in this. I've mentioned it before, I think once on my podcast, but my husband and I have come to this conclusion 23 years in. Uh, we did not want to do this. We fought it. I mean, we just, every time we'd sleep apart for some reason, because somebody was snoring, you'd go in the other room and you'd wake up and, and feel better. You're like, oh my God, this is the answer. I'm going to sleep separately. This is it. This is it. I feel like I love you so much more. I feel I'm awesome. And then you go back in their room and you're like, I'm supposed to sleep with you though, because we're married. And then you don't sleep all night. You're like, damn it. And we would go round and round and round. And we finally just got over it. <laughs> and that's when I read this article. I thought, yes, that's exactly what happened with us. And I mean to tell you, our marriage, I can honestly say it improved exponentially because the way I see him and the way he sees me the next day is off the charts way better. And, and it does not preclude you from being together sexually and people cannot delink those two things. So let's talk about why it doesn't have to and what your argument is for why sleeping apart is, is actually beneficial. Well, you know the famous saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Yes. <clears throat> contempt is a very strong word. Very. It shouldn't happen to anybody. Contempt is ugly and dangerous. Mm -hmm. Worse than hate. So if familiarity breeds contempt, how, did, how would any marriage ever work? I mean, if you're not familiar, you're not married. If you are familiar, you have contempt. So how does that work exactly? The familiarity that breeds contempt most is in the bedroom. Familiarity in the kitchen is very nice. You know what yeah. I like, you know yeah. my taste, you know. In the, in the living room, it's very good. Yeah. But in the bedroom, it's deadly. You become overly familiar and you start to really look down at each other, yeah. uh, develop a distaste, it, it, it leads to contempt. And I would argue that I, I can't speak to 50 years ago, but the, with the way things are today um, with technology and, the, and, and people working around the clock and the sleep deprivation that we know is a massive problem, I think about these couples who are, I think, absolutely feeling contemptuous I think it's very easy to feel contemptuous when you're utterly sleep deprived uh, toward the person that's causing the sleep deprivation. Not that he or she is purposely trying to deprive you of sleep, but if you can't sleep together for A, B, C, D reasons, um, yeah. you, invariably it's because you're trying to sleep with the person. And if the sleeping doesn't work, you do wake up contemptuous. And that's a horrible feeling to have. And that's why I said we went back and forth with this for so long because I didn't want to feel badly toward him or vice versa, but we were forcing something that wasn't working and we just had to finally accept it's okay. In fact, we might be, let's get into why sex can actually be better when you've slept apart. Because it's more thoughtful. It's more intentional. You know, like <clears throat> you sleep in the same bed, two things happen. First of all, neglecting each other or ignoring each other because you want to sleep, that is a terrible, um, it's a terrible form of disrespect. 
you get into bed with a man and all you want to do is sleep? Well, thank you very much. I'm excited about you too. Mm -hmm. So you get used to being physically mm. close and intimate, but not interested. You become callous. And that, that's, that is painful. Because one or the other, the husband or the wife, is insulted, feels rejected by the argument, I'm tired, let me sleep. Okay, now I'm going to play devil's advocate because... I'm thinking about people listening to this. And first of all, I want to make clear that I didn't, I'm not doing this podcast episode to encourage all of America to sleep separately from their spouses. I mean, I don't care what you do. I'm, I'm simply pointing out that it's okay if you do and you're not abnormal. And this is all about doing things that are, I mean, my whole podcast is about countercultural living. And so that just because it's countercultural, it's not normal or popular, doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's countercultural. It actually could be very right. So what would you say to the person who says, well, okay, Rabbi Friedman, so how is sleeping in a separate room going to make that better, what you just described? Well, separate rooms may be a little too Or separate beds, sorry. Yeah. Separate beds, is because if you're going to be intimate, can you show a little initiative? Or is it just, you know, we happen to be in the bed anyway, what the hell, let's have some sex. It is so deadening. The excitement is all, it, it's the familiarity that's ruining everything. So if you're going to be intimate, show a little interest. Get out of your bed and go to your wife's bed. I see. So you're saying it's that separation between you, even if it's small in the same room or in, whether it's in separate rooms or the same room, but just that separation on a daily basis is that extra step that you go to to actually do something as opposed to just being there. And you don't get callous lying next to each other without any sexual feelings. I had this teenage group who was going on a camping trip, four boys and four girls out in the wilderness in a tent. I said, I don't think that's a good idea. They said, why we do this every year? Nothing ever happens. In fact, last year, one of the boys said, last year, uh, one of the sleeping bags caught fire. So we shared a sleeping bag. Nothing happened. I said, first of all, I wouldn't be proud of that. <laughs> and secondly, you need therapy. <laughs> what do you mean? You were sleeping next to a girl in the same sleeping bag with a girl and nothing happened? Get help. Yeah, that is that is bizarre. So we do this all the time. If you're sleeping in the same bed, you're doing this every night. Yes, we're in the same bed. We're right there close to each other, but I'd rather sleep. It is so insulting. It's so, it's so, it's such a rejection. And I'm sure that every night one of the partners is more interested and was yeah. hoping to, but no, I'm tired. How do you think it became such a common thing? Cause I think actually I've read that almost up to a quarter of married couples do not sleep in the same bed, but it's like this hush hush thing. Instead of this prideful thing, we're talking, you and I are talking about it. Like, Hey, you guys, this is actually the way to go. There's nothing to hide. Why do you think there's so much pressure on that subject? I don't know really. And I, 
I'm afraid it's a little juvenile. Hmm. Children love to sleep in their parents' bed, the security, the whatever it is. But when you're grown up, what are you, what, what are you doing? Why? Does it seem romantic? It's not. You know what's really Yeah, I think romantic? it does. I think it does. I think that's what people would say. What's really romantic is the king leaving his bedroom <laughs> and knocking on the queen's door. <laughs> oh, is that romantic? That is awesome. That's intimate. Not what the heck, let's have some sex. That's intentional. That's mindful. And more than anything else, it's respectful. So I'd like to make a, a pretty quick case here of why people should marry. And I think, that's, I think that's worthy because I truly believe that marriage, the fact that it is falling away, is, is really the biggest problem that we have in this country right now. So you have said, if you already have love, why marry? And you've given a different reason for why we marry, why we should get married and why, why, that's, better, why that's a better life to have. What is that? It's having a shared identity, not using each other for some benefit, not getting something from each other, but merging with each other, becoming a unit which creates a home. That's really what we're looking for, a home that is a much more powerful thing than love Love is so fragile, it's so frivolous, it's so, it's so easily faked. Absolutely. So the whole culture worships love. Love is the solution to everything, from, from couples to children to parenting. It's all about love. And even crime and riots in the street. The solution is we have to love each other. And I'm thinking, can you first stop shooting me? <laughs> We'll talk about love later. Stop shooting me. People have such a hard time with this. I have a chapter in my book coming out this, this year saying why love alone is not enough. And it's people really don't like that. They don't want to hear that. Yeah, we worship love. Yeah. It's the religion. Yeah. God is love, which means love is God. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. The, my lover, now it's a profession. He's a lover. That's what he does. He loves. Mm -hmm. it, it is so distorted and it's so childish. And if you've been to any uh, modern marriages that don't have any, you know, there's no, there's no religious person there. They just, they're marrying each other. Their friends are getting ordained or whatever as, as priests. And then there's, it's just all about love. Just, I'll just love you forever. And that, there's just no depth to it. Nothing. Nothing. Making love. What, what a distortion, what a perversion of, you're not making love, you're making a baby. Love is not done that way. <laughs> love is a feeling, love is, is an emotion. What you're doing physically is making a baby. There won't be a baby every time, but that's what you're doing. You're creating an intimacy that bonds you to where if you ever separate, it'll feel like like an amputation. So what you really want to do is create a home. Home 
is normalcy. Home is security. Home is society. Civilization. But love, now it's so it's so distorted. Uh, these uh, these shows on nature, nature shows, two animals are making love. <laughs> I don't They're making so. love. <laughs> it's terrible. So people are not having sex. They love their dog or their cat more than any human being. We're really That's losing. Mm -hmm. we're, we're losing it all. We are. So here's the secret. Love does not keep you together. Love keeps you apart. Because it's selfish. What keeps you together is mutual respect. You're awesome and you're willing to share my life. And for that, you have to be really aware. Don't make it hard for your spouse to respect you. It's not good. good. It's not good. It'll destroy it. But don't lower your standards. Don't run around half naked. You wouldn't do that in front of the delivery boy, but in front of each other you do. It kills it. It ruins it. You start to look down at each other. That's the last thing you want to do. You, want you to know, a lot of what you're explaining life. sounds like trying to sort of keep the the way you were at the beginning alive throughout life, you know, and when you were dating. And I'm always trying to bring, whenever I'm working with couples, I'm like, think back to when you were dating the person, you were trying to get them, you were being on your best behavior because you're trying to impress them. Do that forever and you'll bring back that feeling, right? Sounds like yes. that's a lot of what you're it's saying. It's like such a teenage, teenage fantasy. We love each other so much that it doesn't matter. I can be at my worst behavior. Yeah, right. You know, I no, can chew with my no. mouth open. Yep. I can burp yep. at the table yep. because we're in love. And yeah, no. So, you know, that famous expression where a father says to his daughter, hey, hey, you can't go out dressed like that. It's backwards. Yes, if you want to go out dressed like that, that's fine, but not in the house. This is our home. Here we do things better. In the street, you can do whatever you want, but not in the house. So husband and wife need to protect each other's dignity. It, 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 it really, we've lost our, our, we've lost the elegance and the dignity of life. Couples leaving the bathroom door open. I mean, come on, we're becoming animals. So I'm going to have to stop you there and people are going to get really upset because they're going to want to have me back. But unfortunately, we're having tech problems and I'm about to get cut off. And so I, I, I'm, I know I'm going to get so much trouble for this. What did you do? We were just getting good. I'm so, so sorry. I will definitely have you back if you're willing. And I apologize for these, for these tech problems, but it was been, it's been awesome. You said a lot in a very short period of time. There's a lot to think about. There is, for sure. And people need to listen to you. <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi Friedman. My pleasure. You take care. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook by typing in the Facebook search bar, The Suzanne Venker Show. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using.
Finally, if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.